What up? And welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I'm your host, Kyle Pagan, and today I can guarantee you this show will be better than the last one. We've got Kevin Kincaid joining us now to talk about an update on Peter from Maple Shade. What up, Kevin? What up? What up, Pagan? What up, what up Bruno? Chat? What, what up, up Maze? What up, Maze? <laughs> I love that. Up, I love Jose? the what up. Um, I kind of miss after- the what up. When- I do miss the what up Wednesday with oh. Jose from Narstown. Yeah, we got to get him on the show. He's still out there. Yeah, one day we will. Um, later on in the show, 1215 coming on, we have the creator of uh, Tom O'Grady, the classic early 2000s Iverson era jerseys. But speaking of callers, let's get into one right now. He's Peter from Maple Shade. Not letting his 15 minutes of fame die so soon. He's now yeah. stretching out to 16 minutes, maybe 17 minutes. What's going on with this, Kev? Because I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't read it. I was preparing for the show. Uh, but you wrote this. What's going on with Peter from Maple Shade? Uh, just whining again, continuing to whine about the Nick Sirianni tennis court encounter. He called WFAN this morning. Uh, Geo and Boomer, Boomer and Geo, uh, and whined about it again. So for a little bit of background here, I think people, I think everybody knows this story, but last week this guy called WFAN and he said, hey, I saw Nick Sirianni at a tennis court in Haddonfield, and he said that he had a problem with my New York Giants hat or my Yankees shirt or something like that. First of all, you're wearing like Yankee shirt and Giants hat. You're kind of a douche, douchebag. No matter what the teams are, like you're wearing one team as a shirt, the other team is the hat. That's kind of a kind of a douchey look. If we're He's being from honest. the Bronx, though. Like you've never worn a Union hat and a Philly shirt or an Eagle shirt. I mean, shout out Matt Groves, by the way, for uh, identifying that call and pointing out that that call happened. Um, but he just he called in the first time. And he was like, yeah, he was, uh, you know, f- you know, said he didn't like my giant stuff. And he was he took threatening steps towards me. And I <laughs> thought there was going to be a fight. Right. So he told them that the first time. Marks and Reese talked to him later that day and they started poking holes in his story and saying, uh, you know, he was probably just, you know, ribbing you or, you know, poking you a little bit or whatever. You probably took it the wrong way. Right. John Clark and Rob Motti both got on the story and found out that this thing was grossly exaggerated, but there was an encounter that did take place. So all the people who told us right off the bat, like, yo, what are you publishing this for? This is fake. This guy's obviously making up. Now, I wasn't making anything up. He just was exaggerating or misinterpreting what Sirianni was saying to him. So he was probably ribbing him and probably like, you know, just giving him some shtick or whatever, but it wasn't a big deal. It's not like Sirianni walked over and was going to, Put, put him in a headlock and give him a noogie, you know, or anything like that. It was just like trash talk, friendly trash talk on the tennis court, right? So I thought that was it. I mean, I thought it was over from that at that point. But he called up uh, WFAN this morning and started complaining about it again. And he was saying that WIP was accusing him of falsifying the whole thing, which was which is not true because Mark's J- John and Ike like a- agreed that okay, something happened here. You just exaggerated it or took it yeah, the wrong way. Exactly. So I don't know, maybe Angela or somebody else on the morning show was saying something different. But Boomer and Gio were like, yeah, dude, okay, it's time to kind of like credit to them. They were like, all right, this is this is pretty much over. And uh like your 15 minutes are up, you know. But I, I still would love to hear Sirianni comment on it. So maybe funny. Well, Hopefully we can get you down to one of the training camps and you can do your journalistic integrity and ask yeah. him that because, and then all, like you said before, all the journalists just scoff at you because they needed to get their questions in about Quez Watkins yeah. is uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, how he'll be utilized on third and two. Yeah. Um, so is Peter from Maple Shade? I think we could finally put the stake in Peter from Maple Shade's heart because this kind of has the, the 
story of like what you would see on like a Facebook HOA group where it's yeah. like uh, Gary made threatening advances towards me uh, yeah. during the silver rackets uh, because he didn't like that. I was wearing some Jersey or some team it, it, and because it was Nick Sirianni, it made national news headline news instead of Facebook posts. Yeah. Or this guy mowed his lawn too close to my property line, you know, or some, his fence was, you know, two, two uh, inches off the easement uh, in his mm-hmm. backyard. Yeah. You know, it's that level of, of uselessness and not a story. I thought it was funny at first. Cause just the thought of Nick Sirianni beefing with some guy on a tennis court, but we'll get a quote from him. He'll probably laugh it off and say, I was just joking around with the guy. He blew it out of proportion. Then we'll uh, probably move on from there. I would imagine. I hope he wears a shirt saying I'll kick your ass on the tennis court and on the football field. Yeah, it could take it around with it. It could be an opportunity. Maybe we'll run that. Yeah, maybe we'll run that up, put it on the Crossing Broad store. Uh, yeah. Don't go to the Crossing Broad store. Please do not buy anything from the Crossing Broad store. I don't know if it's active or not, uh, <laughs> even though it still is active. Yeah. Um, uh, other things. So Tyrese Maxey reached out to everyone who's seen this video so far. The kid crying whose dad filmed him crying because he heard rumors that Tyrese Maxey was going to get traded for Kevin Durant. Now, I, I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, I, I didn't really kill the dad when I first wrote about it. Then you had the follow-up when Tyrese Maxey uh, reached out. Um, is this the new yeah. kid catches milestone home run ball? Like we now have kids crying on video in hopes it gets back to the team or the player, and he gives you something because we had it with the Phillies kid who got – uh, the the ball from that Dodgers fan. The Dodgers fan yeah. took his his ball. Uh, that yeah. dad tweeted at the Phillies, the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger, anybody, the FBI, maybe even. Is this the new uh, milestone home run ball kind of uh, kind of thing on social media? Yeah, I, you know, I, I my first thought here is like, what is this guy doing, putting his uh, <laughs> like crying son on video for everybody to see? Like, is he like trying to uh, teach him a lesson? I mean, this is embarrassing for the kid. Like, what kind of dad is doing? How are you gonna like put your kid on blast like this? You know, I mean, it's kind of a douchebag move, but maybe it was, uh, you know, intended to get publicity, and then. Tyrese would reach out to him and his kid would get some kind of free shit out of it, you know? So maybe that was the plan all along, but I don't know, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't ever do that to my kid. Like here's, here, here, like, imagine it's your kid. Like here's my three-year-old daughter. I told her that like, you know, Elsa from frozen really can't turn things into ice with her hands. You know, here she is bawling her eyes out. And I put that on Twitter for 12,000 people to see like, what is the point of that? You know? So maybe he was just fishing for, free merch here or something like that i feel bad for the kid you know but he's passionate he's a passionate fan and uh you know he's he'll fit right he'll fit right well yeah i mean you do have to teach him a lot i guess you can teach him the lesson about it. you got to yeah. give up something to get something so exactly you yeah. wouldn't do it for free tickets to disney on ice you put cam on on social no. media no that would that would devastate her man to know that elsa doesn't really have ice powers you know so i can't imagine doing that to her Oh, man. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how people, you know, use social media. And the the one thing that was really funny uh, was that guy has been on Twitter for two years and he had zero tweets. Yeah. (laughs) And this is the first tweet that he decided like and, you know, kind of respect to the father. Maybe I'm going the other way where it's like I need to have an absolute banger of a tweet to start off my Twitter career. And he for two for two years he just laid dormant in the sand until he was like, you know what, yeah. my kid crying over Tyrese Maxey, what's hot right now, Kevin Durant, I'm throwing this up, 
it's doing hundreds of thousands of views. That's how you start off a Twitter career. That's how you make a. That's how you you, you make a bump in the old uh, social influencer. Uh, that's right now, everybody knows everybody knows about that account, but everybody knows he's a douche. So, if that was the mission, then mission accomplished. You know, so you've I now what the brand will be after this. You've now embarrassed your eight-year-old kid for the entire world to see. Great job by you. That, that kid will be pulling up that video, sixteen years old, in, in in therapy. Yeah, this is where it started all going downhill. You can point to that one uh, moment in time right there. <laughs> and then finally, uh, to wrap this up in a little like you know layup line kind of thing, shoot around. Um, Cowboys getting into bed with a company that, yeah. let's say. For lack of a better word, polarizing might not be the best one at the moment. You wrote this too. Explain it to the people. Yeah, I mean, so there's this uh, coffee company called Black Rifle Coffee. You find their stuff in different stores. I think like in Cabela's they sell it. I want to say. I think I've seen it there. Makes um, sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, but no, it's it's a coffee company that was started by uh, veterans. Um, military veterans, I think it was founded by a green beret back in like 2014 or something, but the, the Cowboys partnered with them and they put out a tweet that says, please welcome America's coffee to America's team. Um, you know, we're celebrating America's birthday all week long by giving away two tickets to a Dallas Cowboys home game and a year subscription to black rifle coffee. So I mean, whatever, you know, it's teams partner with everybody and you've got, you know, f- people will find conflicts with partnerships that they create, you know, if the, Philadelphia 76ers do something with Chick-fil-A, you know, people will, you know, some people say, Hey, I'm not going to support that. Right. So this isn't anything new, but you know, they're getting, they're getting killed by some people. Cause it's like, Hey, like this, this brand has like a, has like an AK espresso and they have like a, a silencer smooth roast or something like that. So what they were saying is this, like, yeah, what are you doing from an optics, like reading the room standpoint here, partnering with a, with a, you know, a company that brands their product in this way after the sh- after the shootings in Uvalde and Highland Park and everything else that's we've you know unfortunately probably uh, you know forgot for, about um, yeah yeah so I you know again I don't want to make it a big Second Amendment thing it's not a political thing or whatever I just am happy to see the Cowboys getting killed by uh, you know the rest of the country for. Uh, Something that they think is uh, tone deaf, right? You know, so I think we can all just pile on the Cowboys here oh, and yeah. say, Jerry yeah, Jones, read, read the room, read the room a little bit, man. You know, if you're going to yeah. partner with the veteran, you know, uh, right, you know, Black Rifle Coffee Company that does the murder, murdered out coffee or whatever, maybe just keep that a little quiet. You know, maybe, maybe you want to be a little, uh, <clears throat> show a little, uh, you know, discretion here with how we're, how we're doing. <laughs> yeah. AR 15 milligrams a day keeps the snowflakes away. The next uh, yeah, black rifle yeah. coffee. What was your what was your joke? The Kevlar or something? The Kevlar kombucha when they do a spin off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, uh, but hey, listen, Jerry Jones, I mean, if Jerry Jones was a scratch golfer, he'd get into live. So I mean, I don't think that guy that guy doesn't care. <laughs> but here's, a, here's, a, here's like an honest point. Here's an honest point about all that. Do the Eagles ever find themselves in these kinds of situations? Not since Mike Vick. Right. So it's been 10 years, more than 10 years since that. You know, yeah. like they had the whole flap with like the white house and not going down to the white house or whatever but you know that was an outlier trump thing i think there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening at the time but when's the last time like jeffrey Lurie has really like he runs a respectable organization i can't remember any kind of like shit that the eagles have stepped in recently where it was like a, where it was like a truly a big deal you know no i agree 100 it's it's a team you love to root for so yes t, t from the 203 the eagles should go with liquid death 
Um, I don't know anything about liquid death. I just know that the water is brewed, I want to say, from the Swiss Alps. Um, it is very good, um, but it's just, you know, murder your thirst. Yeah. And I don't think any I don't think anything is wrong with that company, to my knowledge. I haven't done yeah. the background. Maybe just uh, a little bit of taking a step back for the Cowboys, maybe some room reading, maybe some optics studies, you know, may just uh, help a little bit here, you know? Yeah. How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? Um, And then finally, the big, I think, topic, which I think the, the site almost exploded when you hit publish on this. Um, the Sons of Ben, who are the Philadelphia Union supporters, they uh, their president resigned. Um, I'll just give a quick uh, synopsis of this. The, the the main issue seems to be there was a statement about the overturning of Roe versus Wave put out by the Sons of Ben. Uh, some members weren't angry at the statement. I read some of the quote tweets. It seemed to be a pretty positive statement. People were mad at the timeline that the statement took to come out. Um, so then the president of the Sons of Ben, he went on the official podcast of the fan club, basically told the people who had a problem with it how long this statement took to fuck off. Um, yeah. Yeah, his word. The, yeah. <laughs> then, then the president's son of Ben releases a statement to the statement after the statement, a lot of statements here yeah. uh, from his own accord that he made on the podcast and that that rubbed the people the wrong way, ultimately ending in him resigning. Kev, you're a main major figurehead, I would say, in the union fan base. I don't know if you're a son of Ben, but you have a podcast. It's always sunny in Philadelphia where you do talk about the union, I would say, uh, the majority of the time. Uh, I'm sure you have friends in the Sons of Ben. I'm sure you've known people from even before the Sons of Ben or who have split off to the Keystone Ultras. What's the vibe really like around the uh, around the Philadelphia Union and the supporters fan club? Yeah, it's funny. I can't believe this story did as well as it did because I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a union thing. It's a slow day. I'm going to throw this up here. Maybe some like niche you know, group will find it interesting. But it did really well. I think because the bigger story here is like, yeah, what what is a, a, a soccer supporters group in 2022? Like, what are we? Like trying to define what we are. You know, are we like, you know, a political – are we a vehicle for political and social statements? Are we just a soccer supporters group? Are we both of those – things at the same time, like what do we exist to do here? You know, the Sons of Ben back in the day was founded just by like a group of guys who were sitting around in McGillan's and saying, hey, we want a team here in the in Philadelphia, right? And that was the goal was just to get a team there, right? And then, you know, those originally years, it was a strong support because everybody kind of knew each other and they came up from the, from the from a ground level, you know, of getting the team founded and being at the first game and being a tight-knit group of people. And, you know, then they started to do some charity work and they started to branch off and have like a, you know, philanthropy wing and do these these positive things in the community, which was great. But you know, at some point along the way, it started to do like, hey, we're going to do a statement on like gun control or we're going to do like a Pride Night banner or something like that, which is all which is all good and well. But I think over the years, it became you know a little bit fractured as, as far as like some people really believe in this stuff and some people don't believe that you know they should stray too far from like hey the original thing is like we're just a supporters group like we're here to support the team like we're you know we're not really yeah. here to do social justice statements whether we agree with them or not you know so i think that's probably the the big takeaway here is like you have to kind of redefine what you are in 2022 you know because like hey if we, if we are we going to do if we do a gun control statement are we going to do an abortion statement and if we do you know this kind of charity work are we going to do that or whatever just kind of like you know what what is the place for for that in a sports fan group, you know what I mean? I think people sure, on at that point. I'm sure they're in the group. 
there's different sides of, of every argument. There might be some people who are pro-life. There might be someone who are pro-choice. There might be someone yeah. who's pro-guns. Some might be someone who's anti-guns. I, I just, today it feels like people want you to have a take on everything. Like you can't just be right in the middle of anything. If you love peanut butter and chocolate, you got to pick one that you love the more. T from the 203, it's a slippery slope. You're exactly right. Yeah. It's just like, it kind of reminds me of like, you ever see the Chappelle uh, joke where it was like, where's Ja? And he's like, I need to know what Ja's thoughts are on 9-11. Oh, yeah. We brought Ja Rule on. It's yeah. like, I, I, I don't yeah. need, you know, I don't need the, the Wolf Pack to release a statement about the NRA. Mm-hmm. I just need Randy Wolf to give me solid six innings and a couple punch outs so I see the Wolf Pack in the 400 <laughs> level given the strikeout sign. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Is, is Big Daddy, you know, Big Daddy or, or is the sixth man going to come out and condemn, you know, January 6th? I've never heard it. So, you yeah, know, what, am I supposed yeah. to get upset at the sixth man? But then if Alan if, if Alan Horwitz comes out and condemns January 6th, but then he doesn't come out and do a Roe versus Wade statement, then it's everybody <laughs> going to be up the sixth man's ass because he's not. But that's exactly what T is talking about. It's a slippery slope because it's like once you open that door, then you have to be consistent with it um, or else then people are going to be up your ass for that thing, too. So I, I don't I reiterated in the story like I don't I don't think there's like a right or wrong. I don't know. I just think like these groups have to like. um you know, define what they are. And interestingly enough, like the sons of Ben is the, the river, the river end is the section where all the supporters sit at uh town at town at Subaru park. And there's a splinter group called the Keystone state ultras that basically, you know, split off like a couple of years ago. Cause it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't, it's not that we agree or disagree with any of this. We just want to get it back to basics and focus on supporting the team and drinking some beers or whatever. So I think other supporters sections in other soccer stadiums and other leagues and other teams or whatever, they have multiple different groups that sit in the same section. So it may just be a thing where like, okay, we got the sons of Ben, we got the Keystone Ultras, and now we have like maybe a third group that believes in this or that or whatever. So tell you that's the future is maybe just multiple groups that have different beliefs or like think that, hey, we're going to do social justice and political statements in addition to being a supporters group or whatever. And maybe they just kind of, that naturally settles, you know, and people kind of find like what group, you know, they want to belong to or what means something to them. And, um, you know, it'll kind of, you know, work work that way you know yeah so the keystone ultras is the one that founded the group and they've kind of split off you know because they just kind of gotten back to supporters it feels like oh, oh yeah yeah more or less i mean like some of the i know like one of the keystone state guys was like an original sob one of the founding members right and so it was like um you know it, there's iterations of the group over the years where some people leave, some people come in, you know, if it changes a little bit, who's in the, they have a, like elected leaders, you know, and uh, you know, so some might have a different thought on like, Hey, do we do like a, you know, a banner for this? Would we do a banner for that? You know? So like, you know, naturally the group evolves over the years. Like a lot of the original SOB guys are not part of it anymore. So then you have different people come in with different viewpoints. They're saying, Hey, maybe we do like a, like a big uh, TIFO. That's what the banners are called that hang above the fans are called TIFO. And, oh, okay. um, and maybe we do like a pride night, you know, rainbow flag or something like that. And then other people are saying like, Hey, I don't, it's not that I'm like anti LGBTQ or whatever, but like, you know, let's just do soccer here. You know, we can put our money where our mouth is elsewhere. That's the ironic thing about all of this. I think is like, um, the original statement, when the statement did come out, I thought it was actually a good statement. <laughs> about, about the I thought it was a great statement. And yeah, they put they in, like, um, they also put in a, um, a charity that you could donate to. Well, that was the whole point, right? Because they were like, we don't, we, you know, we don't believe in just essentially, this is me paraphrasing, but it was them saying, we don't say shit just to say shit. Like if we're going to, you know, take a stand on something, we want to have like an actionable 
uh, item behind it, right? Where we're going to donate to this, or we're going to volunteer our time to this, or we're going to go out to like the, uh, you know, a, a place in Chester and do like don donations or something like that, you know? So I think, um, in that case, it, 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 that that's, that's was actually pretty acceptable. I thought, but the, the crux of the disagreement was that when Matt, the president came out and said, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool. Fuck you. Matt. Yeah, he, pulled, he pulled a Scarface from half baked. Right. And uh, so people were pissed off that in the statement in, in his follow-up statement that he didn't apologize necessarily. Like he just kind of doubled down on it. So it was more of a fracture in leadership and, uh, but it all the genesis of it was the Roe versus Wade thing. So that's kind of, uh, you know, the the gist of that story there, you know. So, so yeah, so I, I went back and listened to the podcast. And actually, you know, in writing, it just seems a lot worse than it does when you can hear people actually flesh out their words and their tone and their everything. And and I just, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was it was that bad of a you know, maybe your president should be telling, you know, your, your supporters to, you know, go fuck themselves. But he did say it was only to five, six people. But well, that's you know. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, cause at the end of the day, it's like, you're an elected, you know, you are a elected figurehead of a, of the group. Right. And I don't, it's funny. I try to think of like parallels in other sports, but there are no like other organized fan groups. Like there's not an organized Sixers fan group. And the closest thing that I could, I could perhaps think to is like, if you have a big community, like a, like a, you know, like a rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners or something like that. If they, if they decided to all go to a game and hold up like a, uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, pick a, pick a topic, pick a free Hong Kong when that free Hong Kong thing, free Hong Kong or something. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, people came out and said, Hey, why aren't we doing uh we did free Hong Kong. So why aren't we doing Roe versus Wade? And then other people in RTRS were like, well, we don't fucking care about that or something. You, you know what I mean? And then like, it starts the slippery slope from there because it's like, where do you start and where do you stop? You know, the other thing too, is that MLS came out and uh, banned a couple, there were issues because, um, you know, there's political signage that was hanging in stadiums. And one of the arguments is that like MLS just didn't want their stadiums and their sport to become like a, like a, uh, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a forum for these arguments. So it's like, if you do anti-fascist in section 135, you know, then what's to stop like the, the proud boys from doing their thing in section 142, you know what I mean? And then you're like, have this whole big crazy sideshow, um, that takes place. So that was the argument for, for that, you know? Um, but yeah, it just, became, it just like, you know, it turns into this thing where it's like, okay, where, where let's like slow it down here and just figure out what the hell we are and just try to redefine what we are. And if they want to be a vehicle for social and political statements, that's fine, but they all have to like agree on that and at least be on the, be on the same page and say, this is what yeah. we stand for. Maybe like rewrite the, rewrite that mission statement or something, you know? Probably what is, what would probably be best for, for the future. Let's, let's, let's take it back to the, uh, to the, to the corn dog donut. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it back that. to corn dogs. Yeah, yeah, let's get it back to the corn dog donut. I'll share it here, Dave. I have it up right now. Um, the corn dog we donut. Do, and we do intend, FYI, we do intend to get the guest on. We're just having some difficulties getting him on. So if we can get him, we will we will get him. Oh, we actually, Tom actually might be here right now. So if you want to actually get him, we oh, can is talk he about corn dog Tom? donuts some other time. Okay. Yeah, we can shelve the corn dog donut discussion for now. Hey, oh. Tom. 
Hey guys, how are you? How are you? Hey, Good man. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so a big corn, I'm a big corn dog guy. <laughs> well, you got to come right down here to uh, Broad and Snyder, right down the street from the stadiums where you actually created the Iverson Error uh, 2000 Sixers jerseys, and get a uh, a corn dog with a, a corn dog in a a French pastry donut looking thing. I'm so next there. time you're in town, I'm all for it. Right. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, this is Tom O'Grady. He's a former. And first, NBA creative head. He's the founder and chief creative officer of Game Plan Creative and the sports design agency. But you know him because he created the greatest jersey in, I'm going to say, the Sixers, because I grew up then, the Sixers franchise history. So, Tom, thanks for coming on. And can you give us a little background on, first, how did you become the first creative director of the NBA? I can't believe they didn't have one until the 90s. Yeah, well, I mean, the world of sports licensing was exploding around that time. There was kind of like this perfect storm of, of technology because the Apple and the Macintosh was just starting to be accepted as a creative tool around 88, 89. Before that, it was done kind of manually. It was nothing like it is today. Uh, you know, we had this little era of, of uh, the Celtics and Lakers rivalry in the 80s, which really accentuated the sport of basketball. And then this guy from uh, North Carolina, didn't hurt at all, you know, mm. that uh, Michael Jordan came in. And then in 84, Stern took over as commissioner. So we had this kind of like explosion of great things happening in the league in the kind of mid-80s. And it happened so fast that the leagues didn't really understand how to best monetize some of the great things that were happening and how to control their brands more. When I joined the league, I, so I worked, my background here is I, I grew up in Chicago. I went to school in Chicago and I was worked in agents here, here in Chicago called Franklin Company. And their largest account at the time was McDonald's. And so I was working on the McDonald's national account, which for a young guy like me, it was maybe like 27, 28 at the time, was a big deal. And we focused a lot on new products. You know, it's funny. My, my life is interesting. I worked on the first Monopoly promotion. So not only was I lucky enough it. to work <laughs> on the Sixers identity, but I worked on the first, you know, Monopoly promotion back in 87, it was. And, uh, and so in the agency at the time, the McDonald's sports marketing business was starting to slowly grow, but no one really cared about sports in the agency. That was not the sexy client at the time. Everybody wanted to work on the Monopoly promotions or the new Big Mac or whatever. And I remember being, I was a huge sports fan. So I'm like, these projects started rolling in, these small sports projects. And no one else wanted to touch them, all the hotshot uh, art directors and creative directors. And I'm like, bring it on. I love sports. This is great. I'd be able to work both on sports and design at the same time. And in 1987, a project came in and he said, oh, we got this project out at Deerfield, Illinois, for the Bulls. They've got this like large fry for small fry promotion that they want to run. It's Michael, I guess Mike, this guy, Michael Jordan is going to be involved with that. <laughs> That's how like out of it these people were, you know. And I'm like, oh, I'll take that one. You know, so in 87, I got to work with uh, Michael Jordan on the muscular dystrophy campaign. Fast forward to late uh, 87 and they ran this McDonald's open tournament. So it was the first time that an international tournament was played in the United States in Milwaukee. And uh, my, my account executive at the time, Judy Shoemaker worked on the event and she met David Stern there and David Stern kind of fell in love with her spark and her attitude and her smarts. And he hired her after that tournament to go become the vice president of marketing of the NBA. And, you know, 
within a year, I kept bugging Judy, you know, hey, what's happening? I really I'm a big sports guy. Maybe we can work together again. And, and in May of 1990, I had a call f- from New York and it was David Stern on the phone. He goes, I hear a lot of good things about you. You know, like, why don't you get your ass on a plane, come out here and we'll talk and see if we can do something. You know, so I'm like, OK. Damn. Three weeks later, I'm getting hired by David Stern to be the first creative director of the NBA. So I think it was a combination of luck connections and you know just right place at the right time the timing at that point was perfect you know so it was really something that was very important to me and i was the first creative person on board that was it you know so uh i started in 90 and uh, i was a, a department of one and by 1996 we had 25 people in the creative services division so you can imagine the explosion of the sport then yeah, and, I, I think I read. I think I read it went from like two hundred million dollars in merchandise sales to like two point two billion at uh, at one point. Maybe it was like nine hundred million or something. But like, yeah, I mean, the, the jersey market just exploded in the nineties. It did, and you know, the big, the largest seller we had there at the time was the replica jersey. That jersey that's still everybody wears that to concerts, and I see the young men who want you know uh, a sleeveless shirt, but they don't want to wear some kind of white, yeah. you know you know wife beater looking thing they're all wearing the you know the throwback jersey so so how does that make you feel that like you're you're in chicago you're at Lollapalooza. you guys have Lollapalooza. we're here we're down the shore you play those carnival games where you shoot twice and you and you get it in you get a jersey i mean everyone goes nuts there's probably thousands of of raptors jerseys of, of charlotte hornets jerseys suns jerseys back in the day and then yes. there's just a bunch of other ones just hanging up uh, down here at the jersey shore how's that make you feel that like do you ever just go up to people and be like I created that. Uh, it happens all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm such a yo-yo. I, you know, I'll, when Lollapalooza is like first day Lollapalooza, I'll drive down Michigan Avenue here in Chicago and just drive by the front gates to see what people are wearing, you know? <laughs> and it's kind of like a thrill. <laughs> awesome. because every like fifth dude has got like, you know, yeah. or the USA basketball version or mm-hmm. this version or that version. It's kind of ridiculous, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see. It's, it's kind of shocking how much people will pay for those. Like I'm seeing these things, the Raptors won $300 online for a, yeah. what was it the time of $49, you know, piece of fabric with a dinosaur on it, you know, but Hey, that's, that's kind of, you know, fashion is weird and it's fickle. It just kind of took off and exploded. And, uh, I think the millennials really relate to that era, you know? And so it's become kind of their nostalgia. Your guys' nostalgia is really yeah. that era. And you have a warm place for it. And I think the NBA was so red hot back in that period that I think everybody just kind of fell in love with the whole the whole thing. You know, we were marketing guys on a first name basis like Patrick and Michael and Charles and everybody got so familiar with Mailman. So everybody became so familiar with those guys. They were household names. So like I said, it was very fortuitous to be at the right place at the right time. And I was there for 13 years. So I was there from 1990 until I came back and started game plan here in Chicago back in 2003. So to be there throughout that period is kind of just like a magical carpet ride, you know, to be through it and see everything that happened and, and be part of a lot of it. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you. You know, we didn't, I look back today and I'm like, I had no idea anything would ever happen like this. There was no like, Oh my God, we have to do the Sixers uniform because in 25 years, people would be clamoring to have the Jersey come back. It didn't happen that way. A next project would come. The next team would want a new identity, the bucks, the Suns, the this, the that. And you just, Worked hard, made sure you did the best job possible, and you went on to your next project. So, it was it was it was really creative and a, a dynamic time, but it was also a lot of fun because we had we 
our leadership and Stern and Rick Welts and Russ Granick and some of those folks, Adam Silver, they they understood that we were in an entertainment business, you know, and they weren't so locked down to, you know, be afraid to try things. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. want to touch the big ones. They didn't want to touch the Lakers or the Bulls or, you know, the Celtics or the Knicks mm-hmm. or even the Spurs. There was like the five classics that they didn't want to really mess with too much. Um, but other than that, it was like, you know, if teams want to rebrand, let's decide if we want to do it for the team. First of all, then let's do it. So that that was, you know, as lucky as I was to be the creative guy. And I had leadership that had a vision to go and push the envelope during yeah. that time. Because we and, right Cro- and you had Pat Croce. You had Pat Croce. So what like inspired the Sixers jersey concept uh, with Pat? It, it was really, no pun intended, it was really driven by Harley Davidson. So uh, Pat was like a hardcore Harley Davidson bicycle rider. And I remember... The first meeting we had in Manhattan, the offices were on 6, uh, 645 5th Avenue, right by St. Patrick's Cathedral, great, beautiful Olympic Tower office. And Pat comes to the meeting and he's got this black, black and black, you know, black polo shirt. And he was always pumped up. Ah, I feel great. And he'd come into these meetings and you're like, who the hell is this guy? He's nothing like the rest of the owners, you know. And it was like so refreshing, you know. And so we started talking a little bit about it. Like, yeah you know, this patriotic bullshit and all this stuff, it gets to be kind of old, you know, I'm like so tired of it, you know, and declaration of independence and all that. I understand that's important here, but I want to downplay the red and the blue a little bit, you know, like I see things like, you know, the Oakland Raiders and that toughness that they had and the grittiness that they had. I want to start to reflect that. And I said, okay, so you want a black and silver? And he goes, no, I want to be like the Harley Davidson, you know, look. So I quickly checked. I had some files. I checked and got a Harley Davidson wrote, and I said, it's black and orange. You don't, he goes, oh, hell no, I don't want a black and orange. I don't want to be the Flyers of basketball. No, no, no. So he says, hey, come come out with me. So he grabs me and like Rick Wells, the president of properties, and he says, come downstairs. And we jump on it. I'm on a 20th floor. We go on this elevator and we go outside and it's like chaos, you know, right along Fifth Avenue. And there's this big chopper, <laughs> literally like right outside the door, you know, it's black and gold kick-ass chopper. And he's like, that's what I want. I want that motorcycle to be the logo <laughs> and the branding of the 76ers. I want that toughness and that grittiness. And when you hear that, when you hear that hog coming down the street, you pay attention to it. I'm like, Oh, so you, you'd be okay if we shifted to black and you know, Oh yeah. Hell yeah. I would be fine with that. So Pat really drove the spirit, you know, like when we sit with a team, normally it's kind of a two or three page creative brief and look for this and, you know, we don't want to do that and we don't want to mimic this. We didn't need any creative brief with Pat because he kind of just laid out what he wanted from us. He said, motion is important. I want to include some motion and movement. I don't want some sterile corporate logo. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want something. He says, I kind of, you know, he says, I like the flyers look, but it's like even that P with the little wings, it's kind of like, it's too static. I want something that's flowing. And so that's how we started cobbling away at creating the Sixers word mark that's on the front of the uniform. It's interesting because the Philadelphia Sixers have always bounced back and forth. Either they're the 76ers with the number yeah. 70, 76, or they're the Sixers. It's kind of odd. You know, it's one of the weird, hmm. you don't, you know, like it's, it's, it's interesting with the, like the 49ers, you never really see the 49 and 49ers. You just see the SF. Well, mm-hmm. the Sixers they kind of go back and forth. And even the secondary logo we created is just the 76 with a star. You know, so that brand has got some flexibility that we created. It wasn't just locked in and just like the old, you know, Dr. J or Moses Malone Sixers or Phila. 
with the stars know, on the on the side yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the black and the gold was a, it was fun because we, we had to be careful because black and gold were the New Orleans Saints, so we didn't want to get too close to that. Could be the so Steelers. Having, yeah, Steelers, right? Yeah. And so having enough of the red and blue was important. So we mixed that in, you know, pretty liberally, and you know, over time, obviously, you went to the alternate blue and then mm-hmm. even the alternate red uniform because. You know, over time, you know, the black – and we were just selling jerseys like crazy. So if you had a Sixers Iverson blue jersey, you, you had to get the red one. You had to get the black one, right, like you had of all of them. So we were – while Alan was there, we, we definitely took advantage of it. And, and I got to talk to you about this one, though. Yeah. So this is called Dazzleknit, correct? That is called Dazzleknit, correct. It's heavy. It's very heavy. And I got to tell you, once you brought these out and the Sixers brought these out, every travel team, every youth team, every college team had them had them in their repertoire around the Delaware Valley and Philadelphia area. Yeah, I I love your jerseys. I didn't like this one. This one was so heavy when you sweat. Yeah, Yeah. you ruined my my trap, my professional basketball career with my vertical. Well, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you should have, maybe been invest in a little better pair of shoes. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. A little more ankle weights and stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. More jump rope. Dazzle Knit was a thing of its time, you know? So if you look at the WNBA year one, they're all wearing the Dazzle Knit material basically. So you know, champion was kind of leading us there because champ, yeah. champion was not a real big, where Nike comes in and the first thing they do is talk performance it's like we're going to make this two grams lighter or some kind of story or we're going to have air mesh and all this stuff. That wasn't happening in the 90s. That wasn't really, you know, you guys, you know, like you have a mesh jersey or a micro mesh jersey mm-hmm. or a dazzle jersey. That wasn't performance really performance wear in the dry fit era didn't start until late in the late 90s. Really? Anyway, like today, everybody's dry fit, moisture wicking, all this stuff. So all those performance attributes are really important. But it, it wasn't as important then. It was more about these are performers and these are their costumes. You know, let's get kind of really like bring the entertainment part of it up. You saw what happened with the courts. The courts became kind of the stage, the Broadway stage of every team. So we were really like pounding the, you know, NBA entertainment, you know, you know, and that was really driving it. So while it is really important for an athlete to have a performance garment that, you know, matters, then we were kind of just dancing around it a little bit, you know, and even players today, I see these, like they wear these body compression shorts, you know, and I think to myself, I wonder if that's comfortable or not, you know, because I grew up and it's like, I grew up and first I was like, I'm old enough short shorts, you know? Right. So when the shorts expanded and became flying around that look, it was so different for me even in the mid nineties is that transformation happened. Uh, and then it all came back together. So everything they wear now looks almost like it's a practice, you know, like something you go to the gym right. and work out in, right? It's yeah, really, definitely. yeah. So, it, so it goes in full, it goes in circles. You know, I, I expect a day where you'll see a little bit looser fit again because they'll want to reflect, you know, the, the Kenny Anderson look or whatever, you know, a little bit looser, lighter look. But mm-hmm. it's just, it's cyclical. So we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. But right now it's tight as tight, you know. And uh, like and you said, yeah, yeah, like you said, like fashion always comes back. It's cyclical. Now, yeah, you know, I loved the jersey. Kevin grew up; he loved the jersey. Not everyone loved the jersey. You know, how would you feel when Chris Heck gave that interview in UniWatch that he quote despised the Iverson era jerseys? I, I got to imagine it's like telling Picasso his painting sucks. Like, how'd you feel about that? <laughs> well, people have opinions about Picasso's work too, but at the end of the day, I think that you don't. 
I think you just let it roll off you like water off a duck. You know, it's just like you're not going to please everybody. And, uh, you know, 97, you still didn't have a social media world. So you kind of just these things would go out. You know, an old sports reporter would get on and talk about critique the uniforms. And half the time you'd see those guys in events and they look like, you know, Oscar Madison from the Odd Couple or something, you know. Yeah. Not 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 great looking style guys, you know. So we <laughs> <laughs> didn't really like let it take it personally. Everything is so magnified now because of social media. Mm-hmm. So when you see what happens today, when the Sixers bring out the boathouse, you know. Oh, people uh, were pissed. People were on your side. Well, he's black. Yeah. Oh, we thought it but, was coming back. Yeah, I worked with Chris Heck in, in, in the NBA for like two years, but I never worked directly on a project with them. But I thought that that was kind of a polarizing statement to make almost right out of the box because you have a lot of fans who loved that uniform and the Sixers hadn't been to the finals since they wore that uniform. It was know? the 20th so, anniversary. It would have been the perfect time. Yeah. yeah it's weird. It's weird. To I said, it. you know, my thing, Tom, was – and I I said this to Chris straight up um, – First of all, I didn't mind the Boathouse Road jerseys because I thought it was an attempt to do something different. You know, I mean, we complain more than anything because like every time you watch a Philadelphia sporting event on television, they show the same shit over and over. It's like, here's the Liberty Bell. Here's a cheesesteak. Right. Here's the Rocky statue. Right. Okay, so they go and try to do something different with Boathouse Row. Right. And then people hate that. And like it or not, at least I gave them credit for trying to do something different and looking at a different like geographical landmark in the city at least it was a diversion from something that that we there's something atypical right but you know i think the thing with chris was that i told him like you know you you can have feel however you feel want to feel about the black jersey sure but at some point like if there's this huge groundswell of fans wanting something when do you just throw your hands up in the air and say hey the customer is always right you know, we're going to give it to even if I don't like it, I'm going to give it to them because enough people overwhelmingly just love that AI black jersey. And so if that's what they want, then the, we'll give it to the fan, you know? Yeah, I think it's probably called good for business one on one, right? Like you <laughs> have listened to your audience and you have the answer. It's not like you have to go and search out the answer, you know? Yeah. And what I am kind of proud of, it's it's starting to happen. You saw what happened. I don't know, quickly I don't get off subject. Utah Jazz just introduced a really simple like yellow mm, and black. yellow. Yeah. They look like um, practice wear, like reversible tops. And then, but the one that's they were pushing is the purple jazz Malone and Stockton uniform. The mountains. What we, call, what we call the purple mountain majesties. That was the name we created for them. And so the fans are like, oh, those yellow and white and black ones suck, but at least you're bringing back the purple. And so to me, that's kind of like vindication for all the years of knowing that what we did in the 90s was a little edgy and maybe somewhat polarizing you know for sure like the raptors or some of those uniforms super polarizing but at the end of the day you know we were we had mandates to try to create um, awareness and generate some buzz around them and that was part of it back to the entertainment part of it david felt like we were right on the heels of the nfl for about three or four years i remember watching the 1995 super bowl and i don't remember who was in the super bowl but every other damn commercial is an NBA commercial, either for sneakers or McDonald's. Or that was when nothing but net when the Larry Bird and Michael Jordan are playing yeah. horse yeah. off the buildings. They hit off the Hancock yeah. building and all that. We were just like we were moving. We were we were making ground. We were hit with a groundswell. Like we were not. We're never going to catch the NFL, but we were biting at their heels, and I think that drove them crazy. And so. It was like keep it keep it going. Keep the spigot on. You know, it's NBA.com. Boom. Do it. Dream team. Boom. Do it. 
WNBA, boom, do it. Like we were really on a roll, you know, and Jordan was doing his thing. And I mean, it was like, you know, so when, when you're on it, when you have momentum, the thing that David did not want to do is get in the way of, you know, the energy and the, and the, the force that was pushing through in that era. So the uniforms kind of reflected a lot of that. You didn't see us, like I said, you didn't see, there was no black Lakers uniform in the nineties or Celtics uniforms in the nineties. I think that's where and the league has lost a little bit of its way where you're like, Oh man, I too much variation. Black. You think I just need to say, see the Celtics in black. It just feels foreign to me or the Lakers okay. in black. It doesn't, you know, there's something about, you know, that Coke, that Coke can is red, you know, and the there's some specific red. brand. There's some specific brands that just look like incorrect when you do something with like, it's one thing for the Oregon ducks to give you 10,000 versions of neon, but Penn state is never going to be seen in anything other than, than blue and white. Yeah. You know? I mean, and it's come are, to be accepted, you know, you know, I see the flyers come out and I'm like thinking, you know, I'm an old hockey fan. Here come the broad street bullies. Like I still connect, you know, yeah. you know, that era. And that's, I always see that uniform. Like there's going to be a fight in this game. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, yeah. <laughs> Hockey's passed them by, and 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 sometimes the organization still sees as the Broad Street bullies too. Right, um, but the uniform's great, you know. So yeah, yeah. I I got to ask you something. You you mentioned David Stern, and it's funny that he said, "Why don't you get your ass on a plane?" When he first talked to you, he's a tough son of a bitch. Like people, like everything that's came after him after he unfortunately passed away and whatnot. Just great stories. Like he, you know, he got the he he got the NBA out of bankruptcy in the eighties. He oh. allegedly suspended Michael Jordan. I don't know if you know anything. If you want to kind of set the record straight. But he, yeah, I got he's, nothing. He's a tough on that. guy. <laughs> he's didn't know if you ever, you know, maybe talked to Michael. Well, I got um, he's a he's a tough guy. Now I got to know, how the hell did he let you put a giant dinosaur bouncing a basketball on a jersey of an expansion team? One of the things that David was really, really good about was listening to his owners. You know, okay. And at the end of the day, he's got what's the league now? Thirty teams. He's got thirty bosses, really. The owners are the ones that vote him in. They're the ones that give him all that money. So he's really got 30 clients, you know, and so he's he's responsible for making them money. And so when the owner of the Raptors at the time, John Bidtov Jr., we started talking about the name and the design of the uniform. Um, you know, we went to David's office and we started showing him some pretty cool stuff. And then John was not happy with it. He wanted more. And so he want you know, we didn't originally have the Raptor on the jersey. And then John's like, what about, can we do something, maybe put the Raptor on the jersey? And I thought he was kidding me. You know, I'm like, really? But I said, well, when I told talked to my designers and we did it, I'm like, we have to do the best we can with this because this could go this route. When we brought him to David's office, he, he first looked at it and he didn't really cringe, but he's like, okay, so the thing is you're telling me here though, like this is a short window, right? We're not going to wear this forever. I go, David, mm-hmm. We're going against hockey in, in Toronto. You know, if we don't do something provocative, we're going to get our ass handed to us. Mm-hmm. That, that's religion. They'd rather go see a hockey game than God. You know, so that we've got that. The Maple Leafs are everything. And the, and the Blue Jays had just won two World Series in a row. They won in 93 and 94. So I'm like, you're going into a market that has no knowledge of basketball. And it, we're not going to get the 50 or 60 year old dude that goes to Maple Leaf games wearing a Raptors jersey, no matter how simple or basic it is. Yeah. But we might be able to get the kids. And so if we get in early, you know, so the whole philosophy was like, let's do this for five or six years. And everybody knows an expansion team back then would they just suck. They're going to go. I think they went like 20s, two and, and 62 or something ridiculous. Yeah. You know, 
yeah. they're just going to get blown out for a few years. So build the brand through other resources. You know, and the only thing you don't pay too much attention to is the one and loss record. And so we did it. And, you know, it was super polarizing, but the kids loved it. And it really, it's become the happy meal box of basketball uniforms. That's what we oh, really I like that. That's really what we use as the term for it. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the, uh, the urban popularity didn't start for a long time. You know, the hip hop community wasn't really buying into that either. That's a Johnny come lately around 2014 yeah. or 2015, all of a sudden here it came again, you know? And I think, I think a lot of that was a reaction to how simple everything else had become in like the middle 2000s, to 2000 teens, okay. every uniform that the NBA was putting out was pretty stock. It looked like something you could get at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't very stylish. There wasn't a lot of creativity in those uniforms. So I yeah. think there was like both the nostalgia for millennials was kicking in. Of course, it doesn't hurt to have Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady yeah. players that wore that uniform along with Mighty Mouse Stoudemire. So that I think was doing it. And I just think that people wanted something a little bit more fun and creative. And then I think you start seeing more of the urban market and hip hop artists showing up or whatever Mitchell Ness blowing up. And I think for, for three or four years, it's been their top selling replica Jersey, uh, yeah. whatever you call it, the swing man or whatever. Easily. I mean, I had yeah. probably five different friends who had the Carter white or Carter purple yeah. Uh, yeah. Jersey growing up and you could see it everywhere. Now I want to actually ask you about one that I saw the other day and I stopped the guy on the street and said, that uh-huh. is an awesome Jersey. The 1995 all-star game jerseys with the, with the cactus. Now, those have had a resurgence because people, when they first came out, hated those jerseys. You can go online. They're one of they're on a bunch of worse lists so bad that they're actually good now. I, like I said, stopped somebody on the street and I said, that is an all time all star game jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, all star game uniforms are interesting, guys, because you play one game in them. The, 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 the trend cycle is one game. <laughs> you don't have to worry about three years in, down the road. Oh, it's kind of looks dated. That is the time to do something provocative because it's in and it's out. You're in that style for 60 minutes and then it's over. So, you know, we did that for a couple of years. We did it even with the rookie game uniforms. We did some pretty cool stuff. And, uh, and we did it in 96 with the turquoise San Antonio uniform. Mm-hmm. which That was Jordan also a nice one. With the Jordan, chili pepper? Is that chili pepper? Yeah. Jordan did not play in this Phoenix youth because he was retired at the time. He was running around, you know, Birmingham or whatever, playing baseball. Yeah, whatever. Allegedly. So, allegedly. So, yeah. So, no, that one is a favorite of mine because everything we did on that one was integrated perfectly. The court, if you look at the court, it had the Aztec trim on the sides. It had this little gecko in the two transition zones. The three-point area was in purple. The ticket designs, everything. I mean, to me, it's like, that was almost like the starting point of how to really do event marketing for a sporting event of that magnitude. Because up until then, you know, the NBA would roll out red and blue uniforms or red and white, you know, there was nothing special about them. The courts were red and white. And so that was a fundamental change where we really went into the market and said, it's going to be dominant, your dominant colors with red and blue incorporated, just like the Sixers uniforms, you know, that the red and blue support the black and the gold. So yeah, so we were we were we were doing some pretty cool stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff on there, like that Aztec trim on the side is on the bottom of the logo. Yeah. So we we call that peelable art. Like you could take the primary logo and take pieces of it off, like color forms, and drop it into different sections of the design. And as long as you had a good eye for balancing it out, you can really extend and 
strengthen the brand throughout the event. So you found some nice ones there. Yeah. There's the court with all of the bells and whistles on it. And, yeah. And then that started the trend with courts in the three point area. There's the ticket designs. So you could see how, you know, everything was kind of brought together uh, as one package for a three day event. That's, that's the cool thing about it. You know, it's all-star Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and the game is over and that's it. On to your next all-star game. I just, I just give the NBA credit for kind of like understanding what it is, you know, and, and embracing all this now, you know, I was a, a credentialed media member and I went down to the Sixers for a couple of years and yeah, you, know, you go down there and you'd see like, it was like a who's who. And it's like a CNBC kind of thing. Reporters are wearing sneak, these great sneakers and like Gucci Mane was sitting to the left of me. And like, it was all like a, just a, you look at like the video of the guys walking into the stadium now and all the crazy outfits and stuff they're wearing, but it, it was like it, it was an expression. It was like uh, the NBA understood that there's this like, uh, you know, they had this kind of progressive slant where it's like, we're not going to be like stiff. We're not going to make these dudes walk in here wearing like a suit and a tie or something like let, let the players yeah. express themselves, show some personality, let the media members do that. We're not, you don't have to walk in here wearing any kind of certain, like, you know, like you walk into the flyers press box, you had to wear a suit and a tie for the longest time. And now it's yeah. like, this is more relaxed. It was more progressive. It was understanding of like, Hey, this is a forum to, sh to show off fashion and different yeah. tastes and whatnot and be eclectic. And I, I always appreciated that they understood that we're open to that. You know? Well, your, your, your player was probably the front of that ship and I, and Alan Iverson. There's yeah. probably he was probably one of the first guys that just completely that blinked it out and changed how players were perceived in that era. And that that for a while was was we had to proceed with caution because you had to be careful on how far the people around him were. And, you know, you heard this term back in the, the posse and following around, you know, those those NBA all star game player lobby hotels for all-star games was the show. I don't know if you hmm. ever been, that's where the stuff happens, man. Like there's stuff going on. You can smell perfume like a, like a block away. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays just, we just have Ben yeah. Simmons come back to the Sixers yeah. for the first time. And we just have a bunch of angry Sixers fans hang outside the four seasons. <laughs> so I mean, like, so that, that was always the place. And I was always like, okay, I'll just swing by real quickly to players hotel before we go to our next, you know, midnight thing we have to fix for David or whatever and be like wow it's cranking you know <laughs> over time i mean it was just like wow that is the show of all shows it was like the the runway at the oscars you know like mm. wow there's a lot going on here you know yeah. but you're right it's an expressive sport because you can see the players the point yeah. that you made is you don't have a hockey helmet on or a baseball cap or a football jersey and it's just a bunch of you yeah. these monsters and you have no idea who they are it's an expressive game you can see them so well and, you know, they get tatted up and all this stuff. And it, it is very much an expressive sport. And the way the game is so close, like the camera shots are so close, it provides a, it always provided us a, a platform to really bring out the individuality of those players, you know. And uh, I think that's really paid off big for them over the years. Yeah. Uh, before we get you out of here, you've been so great, grateful with your time. Um, I got to ask you, you know. Have the Sixers contacted you? Will there be any Iver Iverson jerseys maybe in the future in a couple of years? I know we don't have one this year, but next year? Well, I'm I, I'm I'm certain that they'll probably do it now that Chris is gone. I have no knowledge of that. Um, right. uh, I got a call from another team on the East Coast uh, that, you know, uh, that uh, Michael Jordan made a short appearance at that's interested in doing some things. So – you know, you pretty much don't have to be. It's not North Carolina. <laughs> so, no, no, no. Uh, no, you spend so more time in North Carolina than they did on this team. 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's some things happening. There's some things happening maybe down in DC that might be happening, but that's, that's speculative right now. But again, I think a lot of teams are looking back in that nineties frame and saying the suns are coming back with the sunburst, I guess, next year. So that's going to be a popular one. And I think it's going to be the purple one. I think they want to really play purple and orange as their palette. The Valley has been so popular for them. Uh, So that's a uniform that really, you know, took, took off and did well. Um, But yeah, I, I, the Sixers have not reached out to me, but I think they've got, they don't have to really, they've got the answer to the quiz, you know, just yeah. make maybe in the new style of the fit and just crank that out. I think they would probably have a lot of happy fans if they did that. They definitely would. And it would, yeah. and if the Boathouse Road jerseys actually sold and they actually did sell these new Sixers ones coming back in the Iverson hour will fly off the shelves. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much for your time, you man. Bet. We look forward to uh, anything yeah. else you're creating. And whatnot. You guys and, uh, me anything, just let me know. I always have an opinion. <laughs> just follow my Twitter page. So good. Good. Well, yeah, we'll we bring you on it. for every breaking Jersey news. Oh, sounds good. Okay. Awesome. Guys, thank you so right, much. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Oh man. What a great guy. It just, that was good. Yeah. It's just, it's a guy that doesn't know how much he affected my childhood and a guy that I never even knew how much affected my childhood. I had the Detroit yeah. Pistons, Grant Hill, yeah. With the Michael Jordan jersey, then they used to do the reversibles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever had those? Those were so cool. I mean, he's yeah. just been a part of like probably every popular '90s jersey that is yeah. coming back now in some of the city jerseys. A lot of that stuff too was like transcendent, man. And what I mean by that was like you know, it, it, there were no you know uh demographic kind of hold hold up hold ups there you know i mean like every you know white kid in the suburbs watched ai every night and we had the vince carter poster you know and we woke up to watch like you know Stuart scott and kenny main and 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 all those guys do nba highlights you know and it was all like universal man i mean like everybody like reacted to to that to what was going on in the nba it was a great it was like a great era for like uh just coming out to the forefront branding and and colors and uniforms and stuff like that so i always appreciated how like you know the nba is on that side of the spectrum probably with mls and then you have like baseball which is like boring and conservative or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know there's nothing wrong with personality and trying to open it up man you know? no it's it's funny he his uh agency actually did the blue jays jerseys the new powder blue ones which i actually do enjoy mm. i think they're they're pretty cool yeah. um yeah yeah i agree 100 anything else you got before we wrap it up today we gave the people an hour today no it's a good show gonna, man no people no, are gonna start guess. paying us good guest good show um no that was that was fun we'll uh looking forward to getting a lot more good guests on as well so. all right awesome yep. well thanks to everybody uh, make sure you hit that like. Make sure you hit that subscribe. I got to start saying this in the beginning. Uh, really helps the algorithm out. Really helps people in the Philadelphia area and beyond find our show. So we'll talk to you next Tuesday. You have a great weekend. Talk to you later. Uh-huh.